Good to be here and good to be back. This is, uh, this is our final, final talk in the series on Mind the Gap, uh, which we've been going on uh, with for the last three weeks. This is number four, four out of four. Uh, so I guess this is a bit of the wrap-up. And today, today we want to take you on a little bit of a journey of, I guess, what happens when we don't put sort of these... Uh, these little markers, these little guardrails in our life, and what happens when, uh, when, when these aren't present. But just in case this is your first time, we'll just do a quick little, little recap of where we've been over the last three weeks. Uh, so basically what we've talked about is, we've talked about this idea that, um, of, of guardrails, which we all know about, okay, so we've seen guardrails, and this is what this little set thing here is for, we've all seen guardrails out on the street, out on the road, and all that sort of stuff, and the whole idea about a guardrail, and we'll throw that definition up if we can there somewhere, Simo, uh, is, uh, is a system that's designed to keep people and vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas, okay, so you, by, that time, by this time, hopefully, if you've been here for the last three weeks, you go, yeah, we've heard all that before, and so hopefully that's sort of starting to, to, set, to settle into your grey matter somewhere. So the idea is if, we, if, we, if a vehicle or, or someone ever hits a guardrail, guardrails are actually placed in, in, a, in areas that are safe. So if you do hit a guardrail uh, in a car or something like that, you're driving down the road, you hit a guardrail, then the idea is that you're going you're gonna to cause a little bit of damage, but certainly you're not going to have the amount of damage that you would if the guardrail wasn't there. All right, so that, okay, making sense. And so then we, we sort of turned that around a little bit and we put that into, a, into I guess, a, a parallel with our personal lives. And so we came up with a new definition, and this is a, standard, a personal standard of, of practice that has become a matter of conscience. A personal standard of practice that has become a matter of conscience. So in other words, there's little markers, I guess, in our life that we can put in place that when these sort of things happen, we can go, oh, actually, maybe I'm getting a little bit too close. We're all right, we're still safe, we're still cool, uh, but it stops us going to the extreme and it stops us crashing and burning and going over the edge or running into some other oncoming traffic, so to speak, or something like that. Okay, so that's where we're going. So a personal standard of practice that has become a matter of conscience. And then Simo week two, we threw a, few up, uh, threw a few ideas together of here's some examples of some things that when this takes place, a little red flag should go up and you should sort of come to, you know, come to the, come into your mind that sort of says, hang on, maybe we're not quite going in the right direction. And here's, here's the, I think there are five of them. Here they are. Uh, when your core group isn't moving in the same direction as you want to be moving, a little red flag should go up. In other words, the people around you, if they're not going in the same direction, a little red flag should go up because what often happens is you get drawn in. Okay, number two, when, a, when you're pretending to be someone else other than who you really are, that's got to be a guardrail. All right, number three, when you feel pressure to compromise, when you feel like everyone else around you says, ah, going to be right, you know, and you're like, mm, that's not really me. When you feel pressure, a little red flag should go up. That's what we're talking about, these guardrails. That's, that's a personal, personal... Dad, dad. <laughs> um, that's a guardrail. Um, if you say to yourself, I'm going to go somewhere, but I'm not going to participate, that's getting real close to the edge. And maybe there should be something that says, no, no, let's stop here, not take that next step. Okay, number five was uh, hiding, things from, hiding things from the ones you love. In other words, when you start saying, look, you know, you might be all right what you're doing, but you're like, no, 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 I'd rather, people, I'd rather the people around me, maybe your husband, wife, partner, kids, parents, or whatever, wherever you might be, whoever it is, when there's people around you, 
who you'd say, oh, I'd rather if they didn't know I was here. That's got to be a red flag. Okay, so there's some, there's some ideas, there's some things that, um, that we came across that sort of, I guess, practically in our life help us to go, mm, maybe that's something, maybe that's somewhere where I shouldn't go, maybe that's something that I don't want to do. Maybe if I did continue down this line, I'm going to be doing something that later I will regret. Because no one really, if anyone here has ever had an at-fault accident, you know, it's like, like I'm insurance, like, you know, salesman there. Have you ever had an at-fault accident? Yeah, well, you regret that, don't you? I can guarantee that you regret going, oh, man, I wish I had have just been a bit more observant or, you know, it was wet and I should have just been a few lengths back and I would have been, or whatever it might have been, okay? You always regret those things. You're like, oh, man, at the time you, you really regret it. You're probably like, oh, my goodness, what happened? So trying to avoid stuff and trying to avoid things that later we will regret, and we'll come back to that a little bit. Um... If you have been here for the last few weeks, there's a few ways you could take what we've been talking about. One way is that you could be sitting here thinking, I really wish, and you can add a name there, was here to hear about this or was here to, 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 uh, to, to take on board this message. Um, I really wish, you know, your, your friend, your partner, your son or daughter, your parent, I don't know, whoever, I really wish they could hear about this. I really wish they had been here for the whole time because it was really good stuff, potentially, hopefully. And you could be thinking, I really wish. Because quite often when we sit here, we think, I really wish so-and-so, or, or, or there might be someone, oh, you might know somebody who you think, wow, if only they had have heard this stuff before. And you could be thinking of, of other people and you think, well, if they, if they had have actually taken on board some of this stuff, they wouldn't have got themselves into the predicament they might have found themselves in. And quite often we, when we hear this sort of thing, we always think, yeah, that'd be really good for someone else. But I want to turn this around a little bit this morning, and I guess want to just um, think about, well, not just for someone else, but for you, for us personally. Like, don't, don't think about whoever else it is, but think about, this is, this, is, this is for us, this is for me. How can I apply this in my life? How can I put this into practice? How can I live life without regrets? How can I go through life and have it for me? Quite often, we, you know, we all hear the saying, um, particularly young people, that sort of stuff, okay, you want to live life on the edge? Uh, if you, you know, the old saying, you know, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room, or the view's better from the edge, or all that sort of stuff, right? You know, we always like to get as close as we can to the edge, and, and because, like, you know, it's, it's, it's fun there, right? It's, it's, it's where we, it's, you know, there's adrenaline, and there's, like, you know, there's, there's joy, there's excitement, and all that sort of stuff. It's always... But as we talked before about this whole guardrail thing, when we're right on the edge, and if ever we're right near the edge and we trip over, we fall over, we make a little mistake all of a sudden, it's a disaster. Right. Disaster. All right, so, um, I want to I go, I want to move into today to talk about what happens when we ignore this stuff. What happens, and it's not about the crash and burn, it's not about, okay, we're going to die, and we're going to fall off a cliff, and we're going to be rescued. I'm not talking about that sort of stuff. But I'm talking about what happens when we do life without putting these little things in place. Now, some of these things you might think, you know, we put those little messages up, those little lines up there before where the red flag is. Um, some of you might be thinking, oh, that's a bit extreme, and like, you know, I don't know if I really need to apply that to my life. I've never had a problem in that area before. Why do I have to start now? All that sort of stuff. 
and we got things. Is that a bit extreme? And, and last week we talked about some stuff about sexual immorality and about different things, and we went, is that a bit extreme what we're talking about? And we went, yeah, probably, but you know what? Those are the consequences. And um, so we sort of, we, all right, fair enough call, you think, yeah, it's a bit extreme sometimes. But today I want to, I guess, just make mention uh, and maybe help us to realise that if we eliminate our guardrails in our life, if you take away the guardrails, it doesn't actually change, it doesn't eliminate the pressure that you'll find. If you eliminate the guardrail, or the little red flag, that little marker, that little red flag, if you eliminate the guardrail in your life, it doesn't change the pressure that you will feel. All right, here's an example, okay, for the students in the room. And I always like these student examples because it was, it's, so easy to, um, it's so easy for me to, uh, to give these examples because I just think back a few years when I was a student and this was exactly me, all right? All right, if, 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 you, have a little, if you have a guardrail, you say, all right, I'm going to make sure I've got my assignment completed a day or two early. This, is, this might be a, you know, this is a, an extreme guardrail and for some students you're going, yeah, that's extreme, you know, having, a, having an assignment in early, that's extreme. Um, but let's say you say, I'm going to have my assignments done, I want them stitched up, I'm going to do a little bit, you know, as soon as I get it, I'm going to start working away, chipping away, all that sort of stuff. That's, that's a good guardrail, okay, that, we could all say, that's a wise thing to do, and yeah, parents are going to say that all the time, and kids are going to be going, students are going, yeah, whatever, you know. But what we're saying here is, if you don't have guardrails, the tension, the pressure is still the same, the stress is still the same, because either you do it now, or you do it later. You've still got to do the same amount of work. Which one would you prefer to do? The night before type stuff or, or the, you know, let's chip away and let's try and do a decent job of it. Um, here's another one. Uh, when it comes to talking about, here's these, these little examples, okay? When it comes to talking about other people, okay, all right? So I'm talking about when we talk about other people uh, when they're not present in the room, all right? We commonly refer to this as gossip, okay? When we talk about, like, if we had a little guardrail in our life that said, you know what, I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to mention anything about someone else that I wouldn't mention to them if they were in the room present. All right, let's say you had that little guardrail. Like, like you're, never ever, you're never ever going to say anything that's going to get you into trouble. Like, you still, you still will, you know, you, we all talk about someone and say, oh, that was a lovely breakfast, you know, that's really great. Um, thanks, Nick and Roger and all the rest for putting it. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's great. Um, so, you know, we all, we all do mention other... That's, that's, we're humans, we, we do life as a community. But if we say, look, we're not going to mention anything in a negative way uh, that I wouldn't mention to, to, their, you know, to them if they were right there, I wouldn't mention in front of them. Um, we still talk, but do you understand what I'm saying? If, there's, if you remove the guardrail, all of a sudden you're close to the edge and you might be saying stuff you, don't regret, you will regret later on. Uh, talking about finances, um, we can say, okay, I'm only ever going to spend as much as I make. Uh, that's, a, that's a possible guardrail or I'm going to save a little bit, there's a guardrail. But sometimes we blow that out of the water and we say, no, let's go and, let's go and get a credit card, let's go, and, let's, go and live as, let's go and live outside our means, let's go and spend as much as we got plus a little bit extra and, and, and all of it. You, know, you see what I'm saying? The tension is still the same. But if you take that extra step, all of a sudden, classic example is, and we sort of mentioned this a little bit last week when we talked about um, sexual attractions and stuff like that. Like if we come back and we, like we talked about, we threw a few ideas up that we said for married people, you know, don't start, don't start having meals and stuff together with other married people. Um, uh, it's just, it's just, a, it's, it's a road that leads to, to dangerous situations. Uh, 
think about this. If you said that now, if you put that guardrail in place, then you can easily say, if someone says, oh, do you want a coffee together? It's like, no, oh, no, that's just not what I do. That seems a bit extreme, okay, because there's nothing really wrong with that, but that's just like, that's no, I don't do that. It's easy to make good decisions. Whereas if you go down the line and, you, and things progress and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're much further on down the line, it's actually very hard to say no. Get what I'm saying? The closer you are to the edge, the harder it is for your decisions to be, to be wise. Your appetite... Your appetite is never satisfied. Basically, that's where we're going with this. Uh, it's like you, you never have one meal to end all meals. You never have, right, oh, this is my final meal ever, you know, I'll just eat up big and it's all good, and, you know, like I'll never go back there again. When we, when we indulge ourselves in whatever area of life you want to do it, you always, it's like going shopping, you think, oh, I just need one pair of shoes. I'm like, okay, maybe this is a lady's example, I apologise. No, 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 you know. Blokes, oh, I don't know, I can't think of any. No, I'm joking. Uh, but you know, you're thinking, you're walking out and think, no, no, I'll just have, this is it, this is my one last item, there's sales on everywhere, and you're walking out, and as you're walking out, you look, you know, the last shop, and you think, oh, stuff, they're on sale as well, you know? Like, you just can't help, you're just like, oh, you know what I mean? You can never buy something to, this is it, I'm never going to need anything again. I mean, I don't know, you don't know if you've ever used that line before, you know? I promise I'll never have to, I'll never, I'll never need another one of these in my life, you know? Our appetites seemingly are never fulfilled, we always want the next thing. I'm going to go to, um, uh, to a story in Daniel, and the story of Daniel uh, in the Bible, and, and we're going to pull up Daniel chapter 1, and it's an interesting story because here, Daniel himself gets it, gets what we're talking about. Yeah, look, he doesn't call it guardrails uh, and stuff like that, but he does something that exactly what we're talking about. And he decides that he, that he won't compromise. He, he realises that the closer you get to the edge, the, closer you, the more that you compromise your standards, you know, well, it's not much, you know, it's not wrong, it's not wrong to, to do this or that, it's not a bad thing, no, but you know what, you're getting really close to the edge. But he realises that a few steps back, you can actually make clearer and sound judgement, you can make wiser decisions when you're a few steps back from the edge. So, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 1. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, we'll just set the scene a little bit uh, for those who may not be aware. Um, Daniel is, uh, is living in, in Israel. Um, he, he and a whole heap of people um, get taken away by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are basically the ruling power of the time. This is about 600, 605, I think it is, BC. Uh, they are... Um, they, that is the Babylonians, like I said, they're, they're sort of the superpower of the day, they're going around, they're just knocking off whoever they want as far as, you know, different countries and nations and cities and all that sort of stuff, taking what they want, who they, where they want, all that sort of stuff. But what was really interesting about the Babylonians is they did something probably not, um, not, not too similar to what other people or other nations used to do, and that is when they went into the cities, Typically, you'd go into a city, you'd probably take anything that's of value, uh, take it back, um, burn the rest, who cares what's left behind, uh, and away you go, you know, take the loot and run. The Babylonians uh, decided that they would also not just take the possessions, and they did that as well, they went in there and they took all the gold stuff and they took all the valuables, all this sort of stuff, but they wouldn't just take the, the possessions. What they decided to do is they would also take people and they would take the royal families. Now, often they'd take royal families, nations would take royal families, they'd end up killing them just in case they decided they'd ever revolt or something or ever could get some power again or something like that, but the Babylonians actually took 
took back the royal took the royal families back to back home as well as other noblemen as the bible described them and and they would actually begin to train them because they realized these guys have have some intellectual property, I guess you might say, put it in that context. So these guys actually, they were, running, they were running their country, they were already they were already in a position of power, they already had some nous when it comes to leadership and all this sort of stuff, these guys are switched on. So let's take them back, let's put them through a bit of a training program, and they did this, they put them through a training program for three years, and trained them in our ways, and in our culture, with our knowledge, and combine the two, uh, two you know, the two lots of knowledge, i.e. The, the guys who had their you know, already had their knowledge and, and we can train them and then all of a sudden you've got, you haven't just got gold and silver and possessions, you've actually got, you've got some, you know, you've got some intellectual property as well that you've just been able to gain. And so this was a pretty common thing that the Babylonians were, were taking on. So, um, so they did. So they took uh, Daniel and then he had a few mates with him plus, plus a whole heap more. Uh, and he, and they went back to Babylon, took them back to Babylon, and they treated them really, really well. So unlike a slave, you think, oh, well, let's take back some slaves, all right, and you're out, you're out in, the, you know, in the rock quarry or you're out building something, or you, know, you think of slaves in Egypt or something, building pyramids. Uh, not like that. They actually took them and they treated them really, really well. They gave them everything. They lavished everything, probably better than they'd ever experienced anywhere before. All right, so this is pretty cool. Like, they're just like, wow, I've just been captured and I walk into a palace. And I get everything. I get clothes. I get. I get food. I get. I get the royal treatment. Like, what's not to like about this? All right. So they're, they're, that's that's the sort of thing. Verse three of Daniel chapter one. Uh, we'll, we'll read through the story fairly quickly, quickly, but we'll pick up a few points here that relate to what we're talking about with this whole guardrail, this mind the gap thing, this buffer between the edge and what's what's safe. The king ordered. Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language, the literature of the Babylonians. All right, so just as I said, these are the switched-on guys, these are the good-looking guys, they're handsome, they're, they've got everything going for them, picked out the best of the best, take them back... Stick him in this. Stick him in the palace and give him some training. The king assigned uh, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were, enter, they were to enter into the king's service. So these guys are like they're in the middle of it. They're in the like they they are to be, to be trained to work for the king himself. So here you got some outsiders retrained and to be working for the king himself. Like, that's, that's pretty big. When you stop and think about that, that's just like, I don't know, if you had a, a warring country today, it's like going, all right, we're going to... I'll say this. We're going to go to New Zealand and pick the best of the, new, of the Kiwis and bring them back to Australia and, and have them help with, and have them help with uh, you know, Australian government. Now, some of you might think that would be a great idea and that might improve things. You know, there's a few Kiwis here. Other people might think, oh, man, that would never work. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bold move. To do that, like taking someone from another country and, and, and retraining them, he, like Nebuchadnezzar, the king, well, he was onto something. All right. Um, but here, when they laid out the plan for these guys, for these young guys, they laid out, this is what we're going to do, fellas. Here's all the stuff. Here's all the gear. Here's what's going to happen. Here's all the food. This is where you live. What we're going to do here is we're going to, you're going to put, be put through a training thing and we're going to teach you all about the Babylonian literature and the culture and all this sort of stuff. 
Daniel picked up on something that many of us miss. Daniel realises what's going on. And he realises that little bit by little bit, they're asking the Israelite, these Israelite guys, Daniel and his mates, to become one of them and to compromise their standards. And they, I mean, they're given a lifestyle that the other, they could probably only dream of even back home, even with all the nobility and the royals back home. Like these guys have got, they've got everything. Verse 6. Among, them, among these were some, uh, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel he became Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, uh, Meshach and Azariah, Bendigo. Funny thing with this, when you start looking around and you start digging a little bit deeper into this verse... Um, when it says here, the chief, if this is verse 7, it says the chief official gave them new names, and he, and he rattles off their names. Um, if we go on to verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. In other words, Daniel says, he makes up his mind, and he says, I resolve myself, I make up my mind, I set in place that I won't, that I won't compromise. The chief official set in place Daniel's new name. It's a bit of a play on words here, you may not pick this up, but he actually says here, he says, the chief official gave them new names, this is that word gave, right, in the Hebrew, if you go back in the Hebrew, that word gave is exactly the same word as when it says, but Daniel resolved, all right, it's the same word. In other words, the chief official resolved that, that Daniel would have a new name. Daniel resolved it's not going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like you've got to dig a little bit deeper here, but the chief officials, these, these Babylonians said, we will give you this. Daniel and his mates turn around and says, we will not take place or take part of this. It's pretty strong. Uh, and even, even when you start looking into their names that they have, um, um, Belshazzar, uh, it really isn't, doesn't mean anything, but when you look a bit deeper, even Daniel, it's, you read, look, read what scholars say and different things, you dig a bit deeper, um, it's it's most probable that Daniel didn't, that wasn't even really what Daniel was, that wasn't even what Daniel was called. All right, so he's actually misspelled his name because he didn't like the name that they actually gave him. Belshazzar, they spelled, there's a couple extra letters there. I don't you know, understand what I'm picking up, I'm probably not saying that real clearly, but, but basically what, everything that this, the Babylonians did for Daniel, gave him new names, all this sort of stuff, they didn't want any part of it. They resolved that they didn't want to take place or take part in what they were doing for them. They, they realised that compromising did not erase the tension. They could have easily compromised, you know, it's not a big thing. Um, they, they could have just gone with, the, gone with the flow for a little bit. But they realised that little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, they're getting closer and closer and closer to the edge, where finally they would become nothing at all. They'd become one of the Babylonians. They would lose their, they would lose their understanding of who God was. They would lose all that sort of stuff. The compromise did not erase the tension, it only weakened the resolve. Let me say that again, the compromise didn't erase the tension, it only weakens the resolve. In other words, the closer they got to being someone, being someone else, the weaker the decision, the, hard, the harder it was to make a proper decision. The closer they get to the edge, 
the, the, the harder it is to make wise choices. So here we go. We've got Daniel, Daniel and his mates. And, and they're right from the very start, they're given new names. And they're probably the names, if you dig a little deeper, you probably look at these names. And they're actually names that suggest that they're names after the gods of the Babylonians. And they're just, these guys are just going, nah, we're not doing that. That's just not us, all right? We just, we don't want any part of this. And then, then they're offered, um, this, this verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. Uh, the food, um, several options here, doesn't exactly say why they didn't want the food, but most probably it was, was offered up to idols or it's unclean, you know, the Israelites have a clean meat policy thing and... Um, and they said, no, nah, we don't want, this is, this is sort of rubbish, we don't, want, we don't want to have part of this. Now, this is verse 9, Now God caused the officials to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my, I am afraid of my king who has assigned you your food and drink. In other words, it was the king's food, okay? So he said, oh, mate, you can't just not do what the king says. Um, why would he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would ha- then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel uh, and uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then they compared, their, compared then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who ate the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So they agreed and they tested them for 10 days. Okay, so this is the whole test. Daniel stood up right at the start now, one thing to remember, now, if you've been around church, you know, churchy circles for a while and all that sort of stuff, you've probably heard the story of Daniel and, and this, this whole test that they went and they said, okay, Daniel said, we're not going to eat this food here, we're going we're gonna to resolve that we're not going to compromise and, and they didn't and, and in the end, if we, if we keep reading verse 16, or 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier than, and better nourished than the other young men, and women, young men, I should say, who ate the royal food uh, and so then they led them to continue with the good food. We all know the end, like many of us know, already knew the end of that story, and if you didn't, now I've just told you anyway. But what you've got to remember is that Daniel didn't know the end of the story. When Daniel stood up and decided not to compromise, he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know what was going to happen next. He didn't, like, he, his understanding of what was good food, he, he might have sort of had some confidence that, hey, you know what, I'm going to... I'm probably going to be performing, me and my mates are going to perform better on this, this you know, our, type, our food than we would on the food of the king's table or whatever it was. But he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't have the script. He didn't have the full script in front of him. It's easy to compromise when we're not sure of the end of the story, when we're not sure of the script. It's easy to look back on Daniel, yeah, well, why wouldn't you? Because that's, that's obvious no, he didn't, he didn't know that. At the time, it was like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. We're just going to put our faith in God and see what happens. We're just going to stick this guardrail in place. We're going to put this barrier here and we say, well, I'm not going to cross this because I know on the other side of it is, is danger. And as we read here, um, God comes through. And I guess, I guess we can use these guardrails as it's not just something that keeps us from danger but it's something that also points us in the right direction. So it's not just something that stops us from falling over the edge, but it's actually something that, that 
that protects us, that, protect, um, that directs us as well as protects us. I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life where you've had to make a stand, like where you've gone, you know what, that's crossing the boundary, that's crossing my principles, that's, that's going too far. And despite the majority of opinions, you've gone, nah, I'm going to make a stand here and, and I'm not going to cross that. Quite often, quite often when, when that happens, it can become a defining moment in your life. Um, it, can, it can become a place where, uh, where God can use you in a powerful way to demonstrate his power um, and his, his love for us uh, amongst other people. And that's exactly what happened here in Dan for Daniel. So Daniel decides, all he decided to start with, he said, no, nah, I'm not going to have any part of this. I realise that the compromise weakens resolve. I realise that if I just give here on a few little bits, I'm just going to become one of them because that's exactly what the Babylonians were doing. They'd train them up for three years, they taught them literature, they taught them culture, they taught them, taught them the ways of Babylon. And they said, look, we're going, to, we're going to put you into this intensive program, we're going to change you little bit by little bit and we're going to have you working for us. Look, and we're going to give you all the good stuff laid on in the process. It's easy to change when it's like that. And it's, it's not a big thing, you know, just a little... just 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 to erode that little bit of your morals or your ethics or, your, or whatever it might be, a little bit by little bit, until you realise that you've gone, well, here I am, I've crossed the boundary, I'm over the edge, I'm on the other side. Like we said, the guardrails, they don't just protect us, but they can also direct us. What would it be like here at school, for you guys who kick around school here or in your workplace, if you, you know, you're working somewhere else or wherever, wherever you live and do life, if we, if we said, you know what, I'm not going to compromise on anything. Because like I said, the tension between if we have a guardrail here, if we have a like, this is my limit, I'm going to take a few steps back from the edge, it never goes away if we're here or if we're right on the edge. Like we still have to finally, we still have to make the same decision. But compromising along the way actually makes it very difficult to make the decision when you're right on the edge. And I guess that's where we wanted to go with this, with this I guess as we wrap up this whole guardrails thing, that along the way, if we, if, we, if we don't put guardrails in our life, like the first few steps, there's probably nothing too wrong with that. You know, we're not, we're not in trouble. We just, we're still doing life, it's okay. But the closer and closer we get to the edge, the harder and harder it is to finally make good and wise decisions. The closer we get to the edge, we become, uh, our judgment becomes clouded. And like I said, from Daniel's experience, Daniel actually went on to become like huge. He's, he's received an incredible amount of wisdom. He, he, he did an incredible amount of stuff for God. He worked in, a, in, in the palace of the enemy but made a big difference for God in doing so. Like, wow, how did he do that? Because he decided right from the start, I'm not going to step across the boundary, I'm not going to compromise anything here. You know, and then we go on, there's stories, Daniel in the lion's den because he wouldn't compromise because, you know, he wanted to pray three times a day and no one's going to stop him praying three times a day even if I'm going to get fed to the lions. You know, and most of us probably know that story. 
where the king goes, right, we're going to throw anyone in the, you know, we're going to throw anyone to the lion. Anyone who, who prays to any other god except the king, we're going to toss you to the lions. And Daniel says, don't care. Not going to compromise there either. And so all through his life, I'm not going to go into any more of his stories necessarily, you know, read any more, but all through his life, he says no to compromise. He says, I'm, this, is, this is where I draw the line. This is who I am. No one's going to change me. And in doing so, he actually changed many others. And that's the cool part. And when we look as a group, you know, a group here at Refresh, and you think, you know what, there's a whole heap of people here who when we say, you know what, no one's going to change me. I'm going to be who I need to be for God. Instead, I'm going to be the change in, in, in my world, wherever that is, whatever, you know, whoever you interact with, your family, your, your friends, your work colleagues, your other, you know, schoolmate, whatever it is. I'm going to be the one that says no to compromise. I'm going to be the one that says, you know what, this is my guardrail. Everyone's over here and everyone seems like they're having a lot of fun, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to enter that territory. Because I know the closer I, closer I get to that danger, to that edge, the harder it is for me to make wise and unclouded decisions. But instead I'm going to come back here and I'm going to make... And God used this moment as a defining moment for Daniel. And he can also use that sort of thing for you to define you and who you are with God and to make us and to make us stand. And when we're able to do that, wow, look out. Like God's at work. When we're able to stand up and go, you know what, the only reason I'm like this, yeah, you might think it's weird. You might think, you know, to your friends you might say, you might think it's weird, you might think I'm funny, you might think I'm over the top, I'm extreme, all that sort of stuff, but this is who I am and I'm okay with that. And I'm going to operate from this perspective. And so when we when we can do that, God can use us in a powerful way. And it can define who we are. I'm just going to show a, a video clip, um, which I guess has a little bit of relevance, I feel, to, to what we've been talking about. Uh, and then we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, Simon. glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings be careful little feet where you go for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow it's a slow fade when you give yourself away it's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray and thoughts invade 
choices are made a price will be paid when you give yourself away people never crumble in a day it's a slow it's a personal, this whole guardrail thing it's a personal thing for you I'm not you, you're not me each has to have our own guardrails but when we can recognise when we can recognise danger and we can put something in place that takes us a couple of steps back 
we're not going to have those regrets. And if, and if these sort of things could help us, if, if, if you have had regrets that you've had in the past, you know, and, and God forgives stuff and, and, we, and you know, God does give us new beginnings and we do get to move on, um, but maybe we take a bit of pain with us. And, but if we looked at those having guardrails, you think about something that you may regret in your past and you think, you know, what if I had to put something in place, I would have avoided the regret. And if guardrails can avoid regret from the past, they can re- avoid regret for the future. And guardrails, having little markers in our life that go, you know what, I'm getting a bit too close. If they can save us from regret in the past, they can also, as I said, save us from regret in the future. Think about what that might be for you. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you so very much. Lord, you've just, you've just given us so much wisdom, so much uh, insight into how to do life. Um, and it's, it's incredible when we start looking. It's, it's just the Bible, your words, is just so rich of, of examples where you know what's best for us. And quite often we just think, no, no, we, you know, we've, like I said before, we want to live life on the edge. We want to have, we want to have a bit of fun in life. Well, you've already put out how to have the most fun, how to have the most joy, you know, that we can live life to the full. And I pray that we can do that, and I pray that we can be careful about how we live in all areas, um, whether it's time with our family or whether it's social or whether it's, I don't know, whatever, all different areas. But we can go, you know what? We want to live wisely. We want to live according to your standards and, and how you'd like us to live. And may we be personally challenged. May we stop and think about what it is that we can do and put in place in our own personal lives that can make a difference for us. Thanks, Lord. Amen.